I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers and, of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mom is calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows your best. Better call daddy because he's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Today's guest, Heidi Aldridge, believes there's always a brighter day, no matter what you're going through in your life. She's a TEDx speaker, a podcast host, a mom, a happiness trainer, and she is turning life's lemons into lemonade. Heidi, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. I want to start off by saying that you are a beautiful human, and I cannot believe that at one point in your life, you struggled with people telling you that you're ugly, and I just cannot believe that. Yeah. And I hear it every day still, you know, you still kind of hear those voices. So thank you. That's very kind of you, but it's a struggle still. So it's hard. I know. <laughs> but I don't know. I think we all have those bullies that we had back in the oh, day, God, yeah. you know, especially in the 80s when bullying was so normal. But it's hard. Yeah. Not nice words. Yeah. <laughs> when did that start happening? It was the worst between like fourth grade and sixth grade. So it was like 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, that's when it was like the hardest times where, you know, kids would just sit and follow me around at recess to tell me how ugly I was, or they would like follow me home from school and just yell terrible nicknames and mean things, you know, about the way I looked. And I'm always like, what am I supposed to do? Like, this is how I look. I can't change this, you know, I can only work with what I have. And that was the frustrating part is I'm like, why? Why are they doing this? And what am I supposed to do about it? What did you I, do? I'm a fixer. I cried a lot. And then I thought, you know what? I should just not be in this world anymore. Then that's the solution. So nobody will have to look at my ugly face. And so I would spend the days planning my death so that I could do the world a favor because I just didn't know like any other solutions, you know, I'm 12. So then once we moved away from those kids, you know, when I went to junior high, like I could still hear the voices, but I didn't have the actual kids follow me home telling me the things anymore. But I still felt that way. Like it was still years of that. It was in there pretty deep. What did your parents tell you to do? Oh my gosh. Okay. Again, this is the 80s. So there wasn't the internet and there wasn't YouTube videos and all the things. And it would just be like, they're just jealous of you. You know, they actually think you are really pretty. They just are jealous that you are. And I'm like, no, that is not, you know, that is not right. That is not it. And so it was more just ignore it, you know, don't worry about it. It's not true. They're just jealous. So it was just stuff like that. And so you just kind of stop telling your parents after, you know, you're like, I'm not getting anywhere with this. And in junior high, the bullies weren't there, but then it was a different kind of bullying. Like I got a little boyfriend, you know, and then it was like teasing him about me. Like, oh, you could do better kind of teasing, you know, and like stuff like that. And he was just so frustrated too. He's just like, why are people saying all these mean things? So he ended up being in a fight with one bully to get the bully to stop. It was just like, I'll meet you out back then. Just stop saying terrible things about her. And so 
I had to walk him home with bloody face <gasps> and be like, this has got to stop. You know, this is not right that people can treat you like that and make you feel that way. It was, it was some rough times. It did stop after that. Didn't get any more. But that was like eighth grade by that point, you know, it was like 14 years old. So amazing that, <laughs> so that he took a blow for that. Yeah, though. he totally I mean, What did. a good guy. He was so sweet. I dated him for five years. I stuck with that guy. He was good stuff. Yeah, he was awesome. I owe my life to him. I really do. He was oh God. He was so influential in my life those years, you know, 13 to 18 years old. Those are some rough years anyway. But to take that punch for me and then to defend me. And then he was a very good looking guy. And so I was like, gosh, if somebody like him wants to be with me, you know, <laughs> then maybe I'm not so bad. But he knew that I struggled. He knew I struggled so much with these negative voices in my head and my self-esteem. And he was constantly valuing me. He would put value in me that wasn't based on looks. You know, it was just based on like, I need to be with you today and I need you to help me with this today. And he made me feel valued in a different way. And it was a beautiful thing. It just got me up every day of like, he needs me. He wants me in his life. I should live another day. Oh my God. And do you ever tell him? him? Oh, you know what? It was at the time, it was so like natural that I didn't even realize he was doing that for me, you know? Like it yeah. was just this kind of relationship we had that it was just so organic and beautiful. And I felt so needed and he enjoyed my company and we're this couple and the school knew us, you know, as this couple. And it was just this great thing that was happening and just kept evolving. And it was just so beautiful. And it wasn't until later when he wasn't in my life anymore that I was like, wow, he really got me through the hardest point, you know, because it was almost like it was like it, for, it was for a season. I went off to college. And it's not that I didn't need him anymore, but the time was over, you know, those five years and he got me through all that and he gave me this confidence and he gave me just this part of my life that I wouldn't have had, had he not been there to develop that in me. And it just made me kind of sore. It was like that butterfly moment. It's like, okay, you know, you've done all this nurturing to me and now I'm in a sore. And I felt so bad. It was like, thanks for nothing, you know, because he spent all these years with me and I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> now I'm out of here. But it was at that point that I realized, wow, he really was influential in my life and really made me who I was and made me like myself again and not hear those bullies as loud and give me some value and be needed. And it was just a great gift he gave me. So yes, I did tell him at that point. It was like, wow, thanks. This was great life that you gave me. And thought I was going to marry him, but it just wasn't a fit after all. Like he was just that for a season person in my life and love him, love him dearly still to this day. I think he's amazing. And yeah, he was a great, great person in my life that kept me going and helped me want to be better. And a he stepping saw, stone. Yeah, you could look at it that way. Definitely a stepping stone. He saw this so much goodness in me. And it was just so exciting to be like, I want to be the person he thinks I am. Wow. Yeah. We need those people. We do. Everybody needs a little cheerleader in their life that will keep them going and let them know that they're okay and that they can do hard things and that they're valuable. Yeah, he did that for me. That's fabulous. And yeah. now you're doing that for others, <laughs> which I've really heard you again and again say is that you love to help people. And that has kind of become like a theme for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that really was important because I learned through this experience, you know, kind of growing up, being bullied and losing my value that way. I really learned that you can find value helping others. Like really, the more we take away from ourselves, you know, like my boyfriend was to me, you know, and his value increased because he was caring so much for me and bringing me through life. But it's like that with everything in life. If I'm ever having that day where I'm like in a funk and just like, uh, this day and things aren't going right. And I was hoping for this or, you know, you start kind of spiraling into like, oh, my life. And as soon as you could step out and be like, who needs me? Can I run some errands for someone? Can I take dinner to someone? Can I call or text someone? Like it immediately pulls you out of kind of that spiraling into that negativity and even a, a depression kind of feeling. If you can look outside yourself and be like, who could use my hands today? Who could use some encouragement today? When so did you I really start saying that? 
you know what? In my 30s, I made a big change at that point. You know, I spent my 20s kind of trying to still figure myself out. I got married really young to a new guy I met and not to my boyfriend, to clarify that, and had kids right away, you know, and had a couple of kids. So by 22, I'd been married for like three years and had two kids. And so I was kind of in that just like mom mode and just what is the purpose of my life kind of thing and really struggled. I had postpartum depression and I just was really struggling. And it was at that point when I was just like, are other people struggling? You know, because I had a friend that told me she didn't want to be around me anymore because I was so negative. And I was always constantly complaining and talking about my poor life and my poor, you know, whatever money situation or whatever it was that I thought was so terrible at the time. She's like, I can't be around you anymore. What is wrong with me? You know, what am I saying? How am I spending my time? And so by that point, this is about my mid 20s. And I was like, are other people pleasant, even if they're going through hard times, you know, and maybe I can look at other people. Maybe I can learn from others and maybe I can help others. So I just kind of started slowly with that thinking outside myself because I had a good friend pointed out that I was a little consumed with poor me kind of feeling. It just goes to show you like how influenced we are by the people around us. Right? At least with me, like I'm kind of, oh yeah, I'm definitely hindered by people in my life. So I have to be really careful who I bring into my life. And I also want to be that person for someone else. You know, I want somebody to leave the conversation with me going, that was actually really pleasant or wow, I really got something out of that instead of, ooh, I don't think I want to be around Heidi anymore. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be that person anymore. I got that. I was that. And I want to have people leave better after spending time with me. I'm curious about who you were as a little girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's a good question. I was actually the oldest and only girl. And so I was a daddy's girl. I don't, we'd talk about daddy's girl. I was definitely a daddy's girl. And I loved being kind of in charge, you know, and helping my brothers. I was the second mom. My mom started working when I was a teenager. And so I was the mom. I came home from school, helped my little brothers with homework, started dinner, you know, I was doing everything. And so as a little girl, I grew up really fast, actually. I have some memories of just like playing outside and riding my bike around. But then soon after that, I was the mom taking care of my four little brothers and making dinner, cleaning the house, taking care of things. So my childhood was kind of different. (laughs) It was happy and good. Like we were a close family. We got along. It was really nice. Did you like helping then or were you a little bit resentful? You know, (laughs) I know kind of being forced into it makes you like, oh, is this really fun? And you know what? It's probably, gosh, it's hard to remember back. It was a few years ago. It's in me, you know, it's like my personality. I'm that helper girl, you know, so and I'm the mom still. And so I'm still kind of like, let me make dinner, you know, let me take this for you. Let me do this for you. And so I tend to kind of help too much where people get bothered by me. Like, okay, I don't need that much help. (laughs) So I have to learn my boundaries of when I can step in and help people and when I need to sit back and go, let me know how that works out for you kind of thing. But I was, I was always happy to help. And I think at that time, it really did help me through what I was dealing with, with the bullies. You know, if I felt like I was valued at home or needed, you know, with my little brothers or my mom needed me or my dad needed me, then it gave me that value. So I think that was important to me back then, too. That's it. We're deep diving. I didn't know we'd go that far back. So I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am the oldest too, and I have one daughter and three sons. So it's interesting to think about. My kids, like I had three and four years and then I had another one later. So I do want their help. Like I have a four-year-old and a 15-year-old, you know, and as much as they love the baby, they also don't love babysitting. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Oh my gosh, the babysitting. Yeah, (laughs) I can relate to that. I did not love babysitting. In fact, it was funny when I was finally old enough, you know, as like a teenager to get paid to babysit after doing it for so long for my mom, you know, for free for my brothers. And I remember I was hired to come babysit and and I'd play with the kids and then I put them all to bed. And then I just spend the whole time like cleaning their house and organizing and like doing the dishes and like cleaning up the toys and stuff. And I was just like, this is way more fun than playing with the kids was. 
Um, and finally, I best babysitter. I know. And of course, yeah, yeah. The word gets around like, how do you clean your house if you hire her to tend your kids? And finally, one lady was like, can you just come clean my house instead of playing with my kids? I'm like, yes, that is the best plan ever. And so I really only babysat a couple of times for people. And then after that, I started a house cleaning business and I was almost 14. I was 13 and a half, 14. And I started house cleaning and every day after school, I would go and clean a house in my neighborhood. <laughs> That's entrepreneurship. I know, right? I started my own business at 13. Yeah, I loved cleaning up. And I felt, again, needed. I felt valued. I could offer something to someone. And I loved, like, the dirtier, the better. You know, I love, like, taking a kitchen floor and just cleaning it on my hands and knees and being, like, gleaming, you know, when it's done and look back and be like, I did that. I did that. That's awesome. Who I did you that. learn that from? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I think my dad. My dad was one of those that would come home from work and like vacuum the carpet to put the lines back in it. You know, he liked liked it really clean. So I think I got a little bit from him. <laughs> I want to know what else like you loved about him. Like, what do you remember? Yeah, it was a long time ago. My dad. I love that he was a hard worker. Like he was kind of that entrepreneur guy too. He was going to make his money on the next big idea and was constantly thinking outside the box and having, he was a little before his time back then. Nowadays, the stuff he was doing actually exists and is being done and it's really cool. But, you know, back in the day, it was fun to watch him try to invent things. He worked hard. He played hard. He loved to play with, you know, my brothers go four-wheeling and you know, things like that. He was a great dad. He loved to build airplanes they were model airplanes. And so he would go and work on building those and then go out and fly them in the desert. And that was really fun to go and watch that. He was just a really great dad. He taught me how to cook, taught me how to clean. Yeah, he was great. He was good What did guy. he cook? Anything. He cooked dinner. It was funny because I don't know why my mom, like she always felt like she wasn't a good cook and she'd burn stuff a lot. And so <laughs> he was kind of like, let me just do this. Like, And not that he was a great cook either, but I remember I was eight years old and he taught me how to make lasagna. And that's been like my staple, like go to taking a meal to someone, you know, having people over make the lasagna, you know, it's easy and quick and something I've known how to make since I was eight. And I just, I'll never forget him teaching me the steps of making lasagna. That's so sweet. He was, he was good. He was a good dad. He was silly. He liked a good joke, you know, and to play. And he was just a big kid. He was young, you know, he was a young dad too. I want to say he was, gosh, 22, 23 when I was born. So yeah, he was, he's a young dad, 23. And just fun. He was great. He's a good guy. He died when I was 16. So I had him just for a short time in my life. And we got to the point as a teenager where he was trying to put some rules down on me, you know, you can't listen to that music, can't be with that boyfriend all the time, you know, kind of stuff as I was wanting to be a little more rebellious teenager and listen to the hard rock of the 80s. And he didn't like my music. <laughs> so we started button heads a little bit towards the end there of me trying to stretch and grow into who I wanted to be and the likes and things that I wanted to do. And him wanting to keep me as his precious little girl, you know, just <laughs> stay the same. Yeah, that's sweet. So he was protective? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very protective. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Lots of rules. But I know it's all done, you know, out of love and that he cared about us with all my brothers. And then, you know, that that November day when we get the police come into our door that he's died by suicide was shock. And to find out that he thought we'd all be better off without him was a shock. It was not what anybody saw coming. So that changed everything after that. And that really kind of knocked me out of all my selfish thinking too, of just poor me and my looks and all those things that I was dealing with all those years. And I remember going to school after finding out about my dad dying on a Saturday and I went to school on Monday and I'm walking the halls of the high school. And I just remember like seeing people, like actually like seeing them. Like, you know, you just walk the halls and there's people walking past you. But this time I'm like looking in people's eyes and it's like I could feel and see them feel their pain or what they're stressed about. I was just like connecting with people on a different level than I had before. And I think a lot of it was because I had been so selfish and kind of that self-centered and self-absorbed with 
my own negative thoughts and things that I was dealing with, you know, in my past with the bullies. And all of a sudden, I'm just like seeing people and just loving them and just feeling this connection to people that I'm like, I don't want anybody else to think that their life isn't worth living in. So I just kind of felt like this connection to people where I just wanted to be everybody's friend and help them and encourage them and support them. And of course, that's not possible, but it changed my thinking at that point. Just we got to take care of each other. We got to love each other. We got to support each other. We need to be that cheerleader for each other. So that changed me. Do you feel like your dad's passing defined you? Yeah, I do. Just because I let it. I let it be this defining moment in my life. I let it be this change for the better. Like, I think I could have let it mean something else. I know all my brothers, you know, we've all reacted different ways and made different choices because of it. So I would like to say that it made me want to be better. It made me not want to die by suicide. That was when it finally was like, okay, yeah, this is not a good thing. <laughs> like it had been my idea for years and years up to that point. I had it all planned out. I knew what I was going to do. It was just kind of waiting for the day, you know, just like finally, this is the day. And it was just never, like I said, because of my boyfriend and always constantly needing me, you know, he's like, hey, I need you tomorrow to do this. Or, hey, we're going to meet tomorrow and do that. I'm like, oh, well, I can't die tonight because I got to go help him tomorrow. I got to go meet him tomorrow. I got to do the school assignment tomorrow. Like there was always something that needed me that just kept me that next day. Hold on for one more day. You know, that's really my theme song because that time was just hold on for another day. Did your dad ever talk to you about those feelings? No. About him wanting to die? No, that was was a total surprise. He was in some therapy, some counseling. And so we found out later, you know, from his journal how he felt about it. But yeah, just felt like he'd do us all a favor. You read a journal? Yeah, my mom did. I'm not I'm not reading his journal. <laughs> but my oh mom my did. God. Yeah. And told us that yeah, that was his thinking towards the end. They had just separated. They'd been separated for a year or so. So he was in some therapy and they were separated and it was just kind of not feeling like much hope left in his mind. That's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. But he taught a lot of lessons, learned a lot of things from my dad. He's yeah, awesome. let's talk about the lessons. <laughs> well, the cooking lessons were great and the hardworking, you know. The lasagna. Just, <laughs> the lasagna is still my thing. Yeah. And just working hard and just being that entrepreneur, like, hey, try something new. Like he was always trying something new and different. It would be like, I want to try this. I want to do this. I want to make money at this. And he would and he'd try it. And I'd in the same way. I love doing that. <laughs> my husband's always like, oh boy, because <laughs> I go to my husband, hey, I have this idea. And he's like, oh boy, <laughs> what's this going to entail? You know, because he's so supportive of me now, but I get that from my dad, definitely. And the cleaning, love that. But I always wonder how things would be now, you know, because I'm a grandma, I have six grandkids, and I think my dad would be this great grandpa, you know? And I just know he would love to play. Like he was just such this big kid. I just know he would have so much fun if he was still building airplanes or four-wheeling and, you know, skateboarding and all these things. Would he be doing that with now with the grandkids, the great grandkids? So uh, you're a hot grandma. That's crazy. (laughs) My grandma was actually, my mom's mom was 41 when I was born. So my mom also got pregnant at 18. Yeah. Yeah, I was 43 when I had my first grandkid. Yeah. So I was a young, young grandma, but I was young. My son, you know, when he had his first was young. So in fact, there's 20 years between me and my mom and my son. So this year was like all of our big birthdays. She turned 70 and I turned 50 and he turned 30. So it was like a big year for us to all do this. But it's fun because we're all 20 years apart. I was going to say, like, talk about the beauty of growing up with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Being a young mom and having to learn things. And luckily, my two oldest kids are amazing and (laughs) well-rounded, great, stable individuals, despite me and my attitude and craziness and growing up myself, you know, and I think a lot of that they owe to my husband (laughs) because he was a little, I mean, he's three years older than me, but definitely had some maturity and had some life lessons he brought to the table too. And he's such a positive, like, he's just one of those just even line, you know, I'm kind of up and down dramatic and all over the place and high energy. And he's just like, just that real 
simple, basic, even happy, pleasant, just content person. So I think a lot of my kids get that from him and are just a lot better rounded, better individuals because they had both of us. But yeah, they had to learn a lot. Luckily, they were really young. By the time they were teenagers, we started as a family hosting foreign exchange students. Cool. That completely changed our lives. Like that was the best thing we could have ever done. I'm so glad we did it. (laughs) It started out as like a extra credit assignment that my son got to like host somebody from Germany for like two weeks. And he signed up and we're like, wait, no, we're not having some strange kids, some strange teenager in our home for two weeks. No, no chance. Not all. He's like, well, I signed up already. The kid's coming (laughs) in a few days. We're like, what is happening? And so we were not like wanting to do that. But once that kid arrived, oh my goodness, it just changed everything in our house. Like it made it It made everything more magical and new and fun to see it from a foreigner's perspective. Just even our town and the grocery stores and just all the basic things, the the free ice at the ice machines and free refills at the restaurants, you know, (laughs) like they don't have that. And so he's just like, wait, what? This is amazing. And, And to get to know him and just accept somebody that's not like us into our home and when he left, we were like, no, this was too soon. This was too quick. We need we need to do this again. And so we found a company that places foreign exchange students into people's homes for a whole school year. No. Signed up. We were like, we're doing this for the whole year. And we had our first uh, son come from Austria. And it was seriously the best thing we've ever done. And it really got me thinking At first, we kind of butted heads the first month or so. I was like, this is not how we do it here. This is not how we act. This is not what we do. You know, and I was just constantly like, oh my gosh, this kid is driving me crazy. Like he's so opposite and so different. And then all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, what if I sent my kid to live with strangers for a year in their country? How would I want them to treat my kid? Ooh. Yeah. And I immediately was like, okay, I wouldn't want them to boss him around and tell him, you know, we don't do that here or tell him what clothes he can and can't wear. Tell him if he, that he has to go to their religion, you know, go to their church and tell him what words he can and can't say and what school classes he can and can't do. I'd be like, no, that's my kid. He's grown this much. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to make good choices. Like, leave him alone. Let him be himself. I'm like, I need to do that with this kid. And it completely changed after that. I wasn't fighting against him anymore. I was just embracing him where he was at. And I was like, this is amazing. He had so much to teach us, teach us about his country, but teach us just about a different culture, about being raised in a different family and raised in a different area. Like we had so much to learn from him. We ended up hosting six foreign exchange students over the years. Wow. We just loved it so much. And we learned from every one of them. And it it made us better parents. For How sure. so? Because we were more accepting of anything and anyone. And it was instead of trying to push our kids into this mold and this idea and this expectation that we had for them in their lives. You know, you're going to do this. You're going to be this. You're going to learn this. You know, we do as parents. We tend to be like, oh, it's my child. And I want them to have all the things in life and make all the money and do all the great things. You know, you do. You want that. I want them to learn all the lessons and take all the classes and do all the things. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, what do they want to do? What does my child want to do? Yeah. They aren't just mini me. They aren't just a smaller version of us. They're their own individual person. And so to see these foreigners come in and see how independent they were and how smart they were and how mature for being 15, 16, 17 year olds, they were just so mature. And it was just fun to just see the differences and be like, you know what? I think my kid is going to be okay. I think they can think for themselves. And it was fun to finally kind of pull back a little bit and then watch our kids and see kind of how they reacted and what they did and how they handled situations. And our son, when he was 14, this was before the foreign exchange student, we came home from a cruise and told him about how we saw a hypnotist on the cruise. And he was like, hypnotist, what is that? You know, we'd never heard of this and we'd never really seen one before as we were talking about it. And he just took a deep dive into hypnotism and got like super interested in it. Wow. To the point where when he was 16, he was able to like learn how to be a hypnotist. He was able to get educated and was by the time he was 18, he was the youngest certified hypnotist. And I just keep thinking back to like 
if we wouldn't have had that foreign exchange student come into our house to teach us about people that are different from us, then it probably would have been a little harder to be like, no, I don't think that's a good fit. I don't think that's the path you want to take. Like hypnotism is really weird. We don't know anything about it. Like, and I think we would have been like more discouraging of him, but and we learned and we're just like, let's see where this goes. Like, why not be interested in it? And that's what he does for a living now. He's 30 years old and he works at a hypnosis lab at one of the top universities and is doing research in hypnosis. Who knew? <laughs> so I'm really glad we didn't fight on that and didn't hold him back from that and didn't try to control all of his decisions and force him into this expectation we had of him. Has he hypnotized you? You know what? I wouldn't let him actually for the longest time. I'm like, no, no, not doing it. I don't know anything about this. This is weird. But when he was getting certified as a hypnotist, he came to me and he said, will you listen to this induction that I've written and recorded and make sure it makes sense, make sure it flows, make sure it sounds really good and the music works. And will you just listen to this and let me know before I submit it, you know, for this grade? I'm like, oh, absolutely. Wonderful son. I would love to listen to your induction into hypnosis and help you. All of a sudden I was hypnotized. Like, you know, you're listening to it, you're focusing on it. And then down I went under hypnosis. And it was the craziest feeling to be like aware, but not like it was, I just, I told them, I'm like, that's the only way you could get me under hypnosis is to let me help you do this assignment that I was able to relax enough to let myself be in that state. And it was great. Like it was totally fine, totally safe, totally fun. But I didn't do it again after that. No, <laughs> but it was, it was good to support him. I felt like, okay, I did my, did my mom job to support my son and his little thing he was doing. And who knew it was going to turn out to be a big part of his life. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that is really <laughs> crazy. I also heard you say that you've had 43 different jobs. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I'm still trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> it started when I was 13, cleaning houses. That was kind of the beginning. And it just just went from there. And it's my dad and me, like we were saying earlier, just that entrepreneur of like, well, maybe this. And maybe this is my thing. And my dad was kind of the same way. He just never really found his thing. You know, he was always, maybe I like this. Maybe I want to do this. Maybe I want to try this. And I'm the same way. I'm just ideas and I'll just do something because it sounds fun or sounds like a cool job. One time I was watching Oprah years ago, years, years ago, and she was reuniting people, you know, that had lost like birth parents with kids or whatever it was. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to help people find each other. You know, like I want to help people that have lost relationships. And so I like look up in the yellow pages because that dates me to under like missing persons, you know, like what's a job to help people find missing people? And I just wanted to do this job. And I found this investigative services company. I called them up and I said, I want a job like helping find people and like reuniting people. And they're like, great, come on in, you know. And so I met with them and they hired me and I got all this training and come to find out it was a private investigator. And so it turned into like this totally different thing. I actually never really found anybody and reunited people. But for three years, I was a private investigator. So I'm this mom with these little kids and then working as a private investigator and like filming people and serving papers to people and writing reports of things and going through people's garbage. And it was crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. I feel like I would be good for that role because I also love kind of like online research and I worked in court TV for a little bit. That's yeah. right up my alley. Oh, my God. Can you, you please like that. share some of that? <laughs> yeah. You'd be so good at that. It's a real job. Private investigator. So oh my God, you went through trash and videoed people. That's crazy. Is that crazy? I know. I can't even believe it now. I can't believe I did all that's that. That's like, and then my husband's like, real life cheaters. Yeah, that's true. It was. Oh, yeah. And it just got to be like a lot after a while. You're just like, for sure. And you don't want to follow this person anymore. You know, it just got to be kind of, was it ever dangerous? Yeah, I got threatened a couple of times and chased after. And I was like, I don't, I don't get paid enough. You know, you finally yeah. realize after a few years, you're kind of like, this really isn't. <laughs> This isn't a fit anymore. And my husband got into it too when he found out what I was doing. He's like, okay, this is the coolest thing ever. And so we were kind of partners in it and would help each other and stuff. And and it was great, but then it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't kind of that feel good that I wanted. I wanted 
to unite people and help people. And it was kind of more, I'm helping you with your case in court against your husband, but uh, it's not exactly what I'm getting fulfilled in doing. So I spent lots of years trying to find my thing, but I fall back on fast food. I started fast food when I was 16 years old, my first job, fast food. Love it. That's where I feel like really fulfilled to like help people. I love helping people. (laughs) And so I love working that front fast food counter and helping people, talking to people, smiling, making them glad they came in that day and making them have a great experience. So fast food's always been kind of the underlying thing that I love. But yeah, 43 jobs. I know radio talk show host, a private investigator, a realtor. I was a realtor for 15 years. I delivered flowers to people. I packaged potpourri into little bags. You know, I could do that from home. Like it's just like the most random stuff. Lots of weird things that I've done. (laughs) What did you learn from 15 years in real estate? Oh my goodness, that people aren't very nice. No. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. People are awesome. I Real love estate people. is tough. Real estate Negotiating tough. is tough. Yeah. Yeah. I was really good at it. I really liked it. I went into it thinking it'd be really fun to go look at pretty houses every day. You know, that was kind of like, oh, I can't wait to go see houses. And that's like the tiniest part of the job. So it's a lot of contracts, negotiating, working with other realtors, which is not as fun, different values and ethics that you have to do. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And the market, you know, I got in in 2005 and then we had the fun market in 2008 and nine when everything was going to the bank and went through all that. And then finally in 2020, I was like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm 15. I'm good. Yeah that was it. I'm still like in real estate, like real estate assisting and stuff, but I don't, not doing it anymore. It's just, it served its time. And I loved it. I really did. And it was good to just go before I hated it too much. (laughs) So So alongside 43 jobs, I mean, you really had to (laughs) grow up early. Yeah. Like you lost your dad at a young age. Your mom got remarried shortly thereafter. Can you talk about that? Oh my gosh. That was so quick. Yeah, my dad died in November. And then in March, my mom was set up with this guy. Some friends of hers are like, hey, we know this guy. And I remember this. It was a Wednesday on March and they went on this date and then they stayed up talking all night and they got engaged or got married the next Saturday. Ten days later, they met and were married. Wow. Yeah. And then he had five kids. We had five kids. So all of a sudden there's 10 kids living together. And then she got pregnant on their honeymoon. And so in nine months of them getting married, we have a new baby in the family. I'm now 18, you know? Oh my God. A new little sister. And I was just like, what is happening? And this is not, yeah. And then my stepdad didn't want to keep driving from our home to his work because it was about a 40, 45 minute drive and he didn't want to keep driving. So they moved closer to my stepdad's work. And that was my senior year in high school. It was right the summer, right before my senior year. And I'm like, well, I'm not leaving school. You know, I'm not leaving my boyfriend, my friends is my senior year. Like, no, I was drama class president and stuff. So I wasn't going to leave all that. And so I drove. I made the drive now as a 17 year old, you know, driving to the other town, you know, 45 minutes to school, high school every day and driving back and then going to work and After a month of doing that, my car kind of like blew up on the freeway. (laughs) And this is back before cell phones. So I just stood there on the freeway until some nice man pulled up and gave me a ride to school. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this again. And so that day at school, I was asking around to all my friends and everybody like, does anybody have a place I could stay? I need to move right here by the school. And a friend of mine was like, yeah, my grandparents just live a few blocks from the school. They have this basement you know, empty basement, like maybe you can stay there. So I went and met with her grandparents and rented a room in their basement for the rest of my high school senior year, paid a hundred bucks a month to live in this basement bedroom and went home once in a while on the weekends or something. But I kept working fast food. I just worked at a different fast food restaurant closer to my high school. My boyfriend drove me around, (laughs) took care of me. And I just was on my own my senior year. And so then when I finally did go to college, it felt like, you know, like I'd already been on my own for a year. What's next? What's the next step? So I think that's why I got married so young too. It was just kind of like I was ready. I took care of myself. I did my own thing. And yeah, so my mom getting married really fast kind of affected 
the rest of my life. <laughs> it just made a big, big impact on me. We weren't very close after that. It kind of, our relationship just got really strained the more she was distracted with everything, new husband, new baby, and I was kind of left to fend for myself. So we kind of had a weird relationship after that, but. And 11 kids, right? Yeah, 11 kids. Yeah. And he had the opposite of us. He had one boy, four girls. We had one girl, four boys. So all of a sudden I had sisters. <laughs> you know, I never had sisters before. So that was a huge change too. I don't even really know where any of them are now. I know where one is now. So yeah, we're just totally, we didn't really, I didn't really live with them. You know, I only lived with them for a few months and then I moved out. So they got married in March and I moved out in September. So it was pretty quick. We just lived together for a little while. So they're not really people I know very well or I mean, I'd see them on the weekends or something. I care about them as human beings, you know, but we're just not, never really got that bonding of the sister relationship. Did you always want to get married? Like, did you imagine what getting married was going to be like? Is that something that you wanted as a little girl? So bad. Yes. That was like my dream. Oh, yes. All my problems are going to go away when I got married. (laughs) Somebody was going to love me no matter what. And it was going to be amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It wasn't like that, but I definitely wanted that. Right. I want to talk about what is marriage really like and like, what do you wish you knew? Yeah. The reality is totally different. But yeah, you know, you just dream of that day. I think it was more, you know, I wanted that wedding day. And I always thought it was going to be with my boyfriend too, you know, right? So meeting him at 13 and by 15, 16, like we're pretty set, you know, we're going to get married and just kind of wait until high school graduation kind of a thing. And so we planned our wedding all the time. You know, we had all planned out. I'll, yeah, I'll figure it out. So definitely wedding was on my brain 24 seven. I really wanted to get married. And I really had this idea that I didn't really think about marriage. I thought about the wedding. You know, I was just like, let's just get the wedding done, the day and the beautiful things, you know, the flowers and the dress and the whole thing. That's what I wanted. I never really thought much about like, what is life after that day? And so life after that day is a lot. It's a lot of life. It's a lot of stuff. We've been through pretty much everything. My husband and I, I met him. Oh gosh, it was about a week after I arrived in the college town. I met my husband and we never went on a date or anything. We knew each other at work and we saw each other at work all the time. And about a month later, we did go to a Halloween dance. It was in October. It was a Halloween dance. He invited me to go because my boyfriend was still coming to visit me in college and taking me home on the weekends and stuff for that month. And so I was still seeing him and writing to him. Meanwhile, hanging out with my husband at work and just being like, well, he wasn't my husband at the time, but just being like, I really like this guy is so different. This guy is like really got it together. He really knows what he's doing. He's really so grounded. Like I say, he's just this mellow, even just pleasant person to be around. I just couldn't get enough of him. And so he asked me to this little Halloween dance. And then a week later, November 7th, he proposed to me and we were engaged. And I had to call my boyfriend and tell him, oh my God, I was engaged to this guy that I met at work. It was crazy. Yeah, that was that was crazy that I'd known for like five or six weeks. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How'd that go over? Oh, I know. He wasn't too happy. He was not happy about that. In fact, these words still ring in my head. He said, well, now I can go kill myself. (gasps) Because he knew that would be the most hurtful thing, right? That he could say. Because he was there when my dad died by suicide. So he was mad. He was hurt. That wasn't the plan. That is mean. Yeah. And I totally get why he did it and why he said it. But like I said, those words ring in my head all the time. And I felt terrible. I actually had to go to counseling for a long time because it was hard. You know, I felt bad. I felt like, what did I do? Did I mess up? Like, did I use him? Like, I just went through all the things, you know, it was oh really my hard. God, I am so sorry. That is terrible for somebody to say. Yeah, but he knew. That's, That's like the low blow. Say. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when somebody's that close to you, they can say those things that Right. They know will hurt the most. So it wasn't done to be evil or or cruel. It was done because he knew the hurt would be the same as how he was feeling. So it was, it hurt and it was really hard. And so marriage started off kind (laughs) of, you know, already with that baggage, I guess. But my husband is awesome and he is my rock and he was, he was super great to me and 
got me through and supported me and loved me no matter what. And it's been a crazy ride. We've been married like 32, 30, <laughs> 31 years. So it's been awesome. We've definitely grown together and grew up together too and raised our family together. And he's just been wonderful, but it hasn't been perfect. Like we've had all the things that everybody has to go through. And now to be on the other end of it, you know, the 30 years of kind of looking back, it's seriously almost a blur of some of the stuff we went through. Like, I don't even remember now. Like, I remember at the time it was tragic and hard and we're pushing through and persevering and fighting and therapy and wow, so much counseling. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, here we are. You're now like, whoa, <laughs> I know. It's weird to think back because we are empty nesters now and we oh spend- my gosh every day together and do you miss the chaos and tragedy and overcoming oh like it brings you to this new place right so you can look back and be grateful for it and be like wow i'm really glad we kept going because the reward now the place we're in now is so like magical and wonderful like it almost like i really tell him every day i'm like is this really our life like this is really our life right now i cannot believe how wonderful it is like it's just that magical where I pinch myself. I really do because I'm just so blessed. I'm just so lucky. And we're just, you know, you're older, you're more mature and wiser, you hope. (laughs) And money isn't the stress it used to be, you know, when you're younger and just starting out and you have time, you know, you aren't running the kids to all their things and supporting them and doing all that. It sounds corny, but you know, we sit and have dinner together, sit at the little bar stools and eat our dinner. And then we get up and do this little dance together. You know, we put on the music and we do a little dance every night and together and then we can go sit watch tv we go on bike rides every day around the lake and it seriously is like this is my life i love this life and it's really cool because like you have been through i feel like more than most i mean can i name some of the stuff like i listened to your hundredth episode and was like Mm -hmm. my god (laughs) it's kind of a downer huh (laughs) no but it's truly amazing like you're interviewing all of these people that have overcome but you literally can relate to so much of it and i mean i too i've had a couple of miscarriages i know you talked about miscarriage and infertility and car wrecks and losing people that you love and 43 jobs and (laughs) emotional affairs and therapy and just yeah you're good. You listened. <laughs> That's a lot. I know. Yeah. And your grandma, yeah. who I have that relationship with my grandma too. Oh. Like she is my affirmer, the one that's believed in me. She's 95 years old right now. Oh. Every time I get to hold her hand still, I'm just like wanting to hold on to that. Do. Do. Any chance you get. Yeah. My grandma was totally my best friend. And she's the one who's made me want to be the grandma to my grandkids, you know, that best friend. They come over once a week and I have a little candy machine in my house. I have a little prize box. We play games. We go outside and jump on the trampoline. We go on wagon rides. Like every week they come and it's a week out to eat. It's just perfect. I just love it. And I just want them to have those memories forever of just like my grandma had my back. My grandma was my best friend. My grandma loves me unconditionally. It doesn't matter. I'm just breathing. I'm alive. And my grandma thinks I'm the greatest thing on the earth. Oh, same. Yeah. I really, I know that. Yeah. Feels You're so lucky to have experienced that. Yeah. She was awesome. And it's funny because I was talking to my brother just this week about grandma and he's like, I didn't have that relationship with grandma like you did. And I'm like, oh, you missed out. Like she was amazing. But I think a lot of it was, I was the only girl with four little brothers. And so not that it was easy to spoil me, but we just connected. Like she was a girl, I was a girl. And she was a seamstress and she loved to make dresses for me. And so I'm going to take it, you know? <laughs> so so we had that bonding ever since I was a little girl, you know, she'd make me dresses. And then when I was in high school, I'd go to all the high school dances with my boyfriend. And so she made the dresses that I wore to every oh. high school dance and then made him a matching tie or a matching whatever, you know, shirt, whatever it was to match my dress. And it was just so cool. Like, so yes, we bonded even more kind of those later years, you know, and when my dad died and stuff, she was the first person that we grabbed, you know, to be with us that night. She came running right over to our house. So she's always been that rock to me and she's been gone for like 20 years now. So that's hard, you know, because I, for the longest time, was like, oh, I got to call grandma and tell her, you know, well, she's not here anymore, you know, but she was my person. I call her all the time, every day. 
call grandma, Aww. tell her the latest thing, you know? And she was able to see my kids, meet my kids. So I was grateful for that. My youngest was three when my grandma died. So it was amazing. I have lots of memories of visiting her and building that relationship. And still, you know, as an adult with my own kids, still going weekly to visit grandma. And it was, it was the best memories we have. That's all we get in life, right? We just get those memories to carry with us and the idea to be a better person. Let those memories be something that makes us want to be better and do better. And I love that. She makes me want to do, be better. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about how your podcast has helped you see that too? Right. So like how can talking to over 350 people, it's going to have an effect on you. <laughs> especially like today is kind of fun that today's the three-year anniversary of starting my podcast. So it's been awesome. So thank you. Congratulations. Celebrating with me. This is really fun. But yeah, I've interviewed over 350 people and it can't help but have an effect on you because they're telling these stories of tragedy and trials and problems and hardships, but not just the story of that. You're telling what they've done because of it the lemonade they've made out of it. And that's the part that you're just like, you were talking about me and what I've endured. I'm like, oh, I've interviewed people that have gone through stuff that you just would say, I would never, I could never, I don't ever. And they did it and they're happy about it and they're pleasant and it's changed their life for the better and they're helping others because of it. And you're just like, how is this even possible? People have such amazing spirits and are so resilient and are miracles And I have just savored every moment I've had to be able to talk to these people and get to know them so deeply at their worst times. But it's because what they've done of it. And it's just incredible to hear people's stories of triumph, of how they've overcome, overcome whatever it is, loss, grief, drugs, you know, addictions, anything, anything, accidents, everything. It's just a beautiful thing of their positivity I don't know. I'm just so lucky. I'm a lucky person because I listen to each podcast at least three times. So it's oh, yeah, in me there. too. It's in there. <laughs> and I write notes and I love it. And it's helping me kind of compile a book now about cool. it. Yeah. So I have lots of quotes from every single person. I have pages of quotes of things they've said. And it's just helped me now with my motivational speaking and teaching that I do to be able to think back on these stories that people have told me. And some, are definitely resonating more with me and are more in the top of my mind than others, but they're all in there. They've all had an impact on me and brought me to this point in my life where I am now that I know too much. I have this knowledge from all these people of how to overcome anything. And I was just sitting back a month or two ago, just kind of going, okay, am I good? Like, have I done enough? Like, do I keep going? You know, I'm almost three years who do I still need to talk to? You know, and I was kind of thinking about it and just kind of putting it out there. Like, what else? What other stories? Have I kind of covered everything, you know, anything anybody would have ever endured? Have I done it? And there was one left that I thought of at the time and it was a sex addict. I hadn't talked to a sex addict yet. And I just barely talked to him just a couple of weeks ago. His episode will be releasing here soon in about a month. And that was a lot. Oh, yeah. Lot. yeah. I interviewed the wife of someone who left a sex addict. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that was the other thing. Anonymous. Yeah. His wife never left him. I mean, he was doing all the things. They tried to work it out, but he cheated. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he was. He was actually caught with a prostitute, was arrested. So it was a lot. And I was just in there like, wow, this is a lot. But there's still really cool things to learn from this. And now he has this He has this sex addict recovery thing, you know, this 12-step program he's developed. He's been working on that for like 18 years now, helping other addicts. And that's the key, right? It's like, yeah, he hit rock bottom and he did all the things, but he also isn't that person anymore. And now he's helping other people and he can relate to that with people. And so who better to help you through your addiction than somebody who's walked that path? Like, it's very powerful what he can do for other people and how he can resonate with wherever they're at. So it was amazing. It was really powerful, amazing interview. And I'm like, well, hopefully going to help somebody hear this and realize I can do it too. I can get through this or I can forgive someone who deals with this. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love the work that you're doing and congratulations on all that you've done. Your TED talk, you've got a book coming up, 350 episodes. (laughs) I mean, the list is long. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Oh, ask your dad. Oh my goodness. That's a great question. 
Hmm. Well, maybe what advice does he like to give? Like if he could go back maybe to his daughter back as a young kid or as a teenager, what's his little nugget of advice that he always likes to give? I also like kind of want to know his lemon to lemonade story. Like (laughs) uh, that would be really good. Let's ask him that. What's his lemon to lemonade? Okay, scratch that. (laughs) I'm always an advice person. Like what advice? I always want to learn. What advice would you give? What would you teach me? What would you? So that's always my first thing. But of course, the second thing, hello, lemon to lemonade story. (laughs) Well, it's (laughs) because I see your lemons in the background. (laughs) (laughs) You getting it in the brain so bad. (laughs) I'm trying not to look at myself. Is there any advice that you'd want to leave us with? Mm. My advice, I always like to say is, hold on for one more day. I always wonder what would be different with my dad if he would have just one more day, one more hour, one more minute, because things totally change. Like what you're dealing with now and even think back to something you were dealing with five years ago. Can you even remember? You know, like I can't remember stuff I dealt with even raising my kids. You know, it's like we at the time it's tragic and hard and hopeless or discouraging or frustrating, even like the infertility, you know, it's just like this will never end. I'm a broken person. What's wrong with me? God's punishing me. You know, all those thoughts you have when you can't have any more kids and it was just wears on you. But, you know, give it another day. One day I woke up and I was like, I'm not feeling so good. What's going on? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm totally pregnant. And I was told, you know, couldn't have any more kids. So it was beautiful. My baby is turning 23 next week and she's the greatest miracle gift. You know, there was six years of enduring of not thinking I'd have any more kids and just hold on because you just don't know what's going to change. You just don't know what's around the corner. The world needs that message so much. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you. I loved having you. Let people know how they can find you, your podcast, all the good stuff. Yeah, it's all Heidi. Yeah, Heidi's Lemonade Stand. That's everything. And I spell it Lemonade, A-I-D, instead of the drink. It's not about a sweet drink. It's Lemonade, A-I-D, like Band-Aid, First Aid, something to help fix what's broken, the hurt, the pain. So Heidi's Lemonade Stand, and that's my website and podcast and Instagram and everything's Heidi's Lemonade Stand. And I would love to hear people's stories. So somebody has a story they want to share. I'm up for it. I'll hear it. I love it. Maybe it'll be something I haven't done yet. I don't know. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. Well, I definitely uh, had a nice dinner and I just had just before the show, I had some lemonade. So it was quite a coincidence because her show is really about explaining from her own personal trials and tribulations that people that feel like they are a lemon can get aid and really turn a lemon into lemonade. And isn't that really very helpful encouragement for people that want to listen to her and her story and her show? And... She's experienced that so deeply in her own background that she can really understand just about anything that somebody's going through, because if she didn't experience it, she's had guests that have come on her show that have also given her those two cents each episode of wisdom as well. So I think that people could get a lot out of this episode on the Better Call Daddy show but certainly should tune in to listen to her and her guests on her show as well. I don't know how to say this, but I mean, her personal story is remarkable. Uh, Well, this is what's so (laughs) ironic is that you and I just had a conversation on the phone earlier today was about some other guests and the importance and the influence of a father and a mother on the relationship with a daughter or a son and one's determination in life and the mistakes that our parents make can be just devastating on our children. And it's back to that uh, old anthem in the den. You know, if I'm eating in the den and the children are eating in the den, you can't say, well, I'm not going to spill anything when I spill things all the time. Your children are going to follow hands-on examples. They're going to do what you do. They're not going to do what you say. They really entrust in what reality is and what 
they see as reality. And it's really like a purification system where you don't even have to talk. You just show what you're doing and they get it. Your, your kids figure out who you are, don't they? They figure out who you are by what you do, not by what you say. So you could say all the things that you want. You can push and tell them how much better they should be at this or that. But unless you show the way, unless you walk the walk and not just talk the talk, walking the walk is always more effective. And what's a little peculiar in this case, and I'm not sure if there's some heredity to this or whether it's something that we all uh, feel deep down, is that when we're not feeling loved or we're not feeling appreciated or we're being bullied where we have a low self-esteem or self-confidence and we think things are really going badly, that we think that maybe the world would do better without us or the family would do better without us, or that maybe I'm better off just checking out of this earth because I have no value. And to me, I find that to be really very sad and a little depressing myself to think that a life has no value when the way I was raised, life has every value. It's just the opposite. And I like what she said is that when you are feeling bad or things are really going against you, that time will pass through where it can be, not only can it lessen the blow, but it could be a completely moot point or meaningless as time goes on, where nobody even cares about what happened even a day ago or a year ago. So whatever it is, no matter how much we think that will be criticized or persecuted over, nobody really even cares when time starts rolling further ahead. You know, it's like that story I told you about the trophy, how important they were having consecutive tournaments winning a trophy. And here it is 50 years later. And not only do I find that idea of winning a trophy meaning so much, what do you do with those trophies now? You're ready to throw them in the garbage, you give them away. And that one time where I could have got the $10 or the trophy, and I took the trophy instead of the $10, when 50 years later you say to yourself, my gosh, I should have taken the $10, you know? So how things not only change in our lives, but how meaningless most things are, material-wise, or even what you accomplish, as you get to the later years of your life, and you reflect back, you say to yourself, my gosh, you put so much weight on this, and so much weight on that, and such, and for what? You really have to keep it all in perspective. And the beauty of the interview is that she also gives you the legacy of our show, where it's more important to think about helping people and getting to learn about people where we can look towards what can we do to make a better person, a better future, to be a little bit wiser so that we pass that on as an example to our children as being really more meaningful and overcoming barriers or overcoming adversities, we all face them. And let's figure out a way to communicate those experiences so that we can lessen the blows. But, you know, isn't it ironic also is that you could be a beautiful girl, and yet if somebody keeps telling you that you're ugly or that you're no good, or you could be a singer and somebody tells you you don't have any talent and you, don't, you can't sing and you might even be the best singer on the block or in the state. But when other people keep trying to bring you down, isn't it quite ironic that sometimes we believe all of these people or the peanut gallery, as I call it, and we don't even realize that sometimes people are bullying you and are telling you that you're no good because that's a way of them not feeling so bad themselves about their situation. A lot of people think that they get ahead by bad-mouthing other people and uh, that that lifts their <laughs> self-confidence or ego up by putting other people down. They think that then they're above them. Or if they don't feel good, if they make somebody else more miserable than them, and will give them 
some type of high or feeling better. And the truth of the matter is, is that what they're doing is actually hurting themselves and hurting other people around them, where it's just the opposite of what they should be doing, is that the way you make yourself feel better is by helping other people and having a good time with other people and having some laughter and fun and being able to do things where you're overcoming things together, that'll actually make you feel better than doing the opposite of playing the evil role and trying to attack people and put them down. And it's just the opposite feeling is what you should get, is that when you put other people down or you're really setting an example of something that none of us really want to be. And hopefully, you know, we, we watch TV and we watch villains and, you know, even in a Batman movie where we watch the good guys and then the bad guys. And some people like to root for the bad guys. And the sad part is, is that playing a bad guy or rooting for the bad guys, I don't know, it gives me a, a stomach ache. And so <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that I'd rather be on the other side of the coin where I would rather also and I think the words of wisdom from our show is, let's see if we can communicate and help other people and give them uh, hope and encouragement to look towards a new day and to look towards the future and to say that the time that we spent here on this earth, that we did the best that we could and we hope that humankind can do a little bit better when we're not here and that our children and our children's children will have a chance to have a good example. And this is another story where the grandma or the grandfather was able to also fill the void of sometimes the loss of a parent or the loss of a dear friend. I thought it was very ironic also is that when she lost her father, where he was getting these thoughts and her mom met someone else, and I think they were already having trouble with their marriage. And that's obviously why uh, he might have done himself in because he thought it was the end of the world. But this boy that she was dating really helped her through and made her feel good and beautiful and needed and wanted. And we all need that. And then when she went on to go to college and she met another boy that she was working with and ended up uh, really uh, having a special relationship Still, while she still even knew this other fella, it's almost like that you go through life also where there's, you can get close to people and you can get close to more than possibly one love. I found that to be very interesting is that it's like she was graduating to different levels in her life. And sometimes when you graduate to different levels in your life, you're also surrounded by different people. And I think that that can happen to all of us as well. So it's very important to pick your friends right. It's very important to pick your better half right so that it's somebody that you can grow and develop with is also an important ingredient to having a stable relationship. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. <laughs> I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now.